0: hi everyone and today we'll be discussing a very unusual lady so buckle up and let's begin mother antonia was born as mary clark on the first of december 1926 her parents were devout first generation irish catholics and they named her after our lady her father's name was joseph and her mother's was kathleen she had an older brother named joseph and a younger sister named kathleen unfortunately for mary she would lose her mother at three years old when her mother died in childbirth And she also grew up during the Great Depression. Mary's family suffered, but lucked to turn them around during World War II, and the family soon became quite wealthy thanks to her father's work in carbon paper. They moved to Beverly Hills and had many famous neighbors. Although by her father's example, he taught his children to never become blind to the needs of the poor, a lesson we'll soon learn. Another interesting thing is he taught Mary to always side with the working class, an uncommon thing during that time. So for Mary, coming of age during World War II and the horrors of Nazi Germany, Mary's father helped and sent money to Jews fleeing. This pain and indifference to their sufferings was another factor and later in life, something Mother Antonia would come to have a deep respect of and she'd wear her cross of a Star of David in the middle of it. Mary joined the Women's Ambulance Corps during the war, donating money and asking for aid and supplies for the soldiers. In the spring of 1945, when Mary was 18, she went to Seattle. Her brother's boat was coming in and she went there to meet him, obviously, and she'd also meet her first husband, a man called Ray Monahan. They spent only a few days together before he was shipped off again, but the war ended that summer and he came back alive. They soon were wed in 1946. Mary was 19 and Ray almost 21. Mary adored being a wife and couldn't wait to become a mother. Sadly, her dreams of motherhood would be plagued by sickness and grief. Mary struggled through a 57-hour labor, and sadly, her little baby boy, also named Joseph, who she labored for hours for. His brain had been crushed during his delivery, and he only lived for three days and sadly passed away. After her loss, she went to church daily and found strength in her faith. Her priest told her now she had a little saint in heaven, and the thought comforted her. Her marriage after this soon began to crumble, and although she loved her church, they were teaching she didn't agree with. Most notable was that the the souls of unbaptized babies went to limbo. She later settled this of quote, God is more forgiving than church rules, end quote. And she herself was a very, very devout Catholic, but she wasn't afraid to go against church rules. Another very uncommon thing. But not, not long after this loss, she was pregnant again and gave birth to a healthy baby boy named James, but I couldn't find when he was born, the exact date, I mean. The baby failed to bring Mary and Ray closer had he had fallen into the habit of gambling and was failing at work. In 1949, Mary gave birth to her second child, a daughter named Kathleen, for her mother. Not long after this, Mary, Mary and Ray separated, with Mary staying in California and Ray in Denver. At 24, Mary was now a working mom in a time when it was not common. Not long after her separation from Ray, she met a man named Carl Brenner, a tall and handsome man. Mary quickly began to date him, but she later realized it was too impulsively later in life. As soon as her, as soon as her divorce was finalized, she and married Carl in Las Vegas in 1950. And he loved her children, but he wanted a wife who stayed out of the way, he was very distant with Mary, but she wanted to make it work and so they stayed married. Her first child with Carl was a girl named Therese, born in 1952, then Carlo in 1937. I'm sorry, 1953. (laughs) I don't know where I got that from. Tom, born in 1955, and finally her last two in 1959 and 1961, a girl Elizabeth and a boy named Anthony. She doted and adored her children. She often took them to church, and although although she herself couldn't receive communion, she still went to Mass as often as she could. And now the reason she couldn't receive communion is because in the eyes of the church, she was still married to Ray. And so she couldn't receive communion because her soul was not in a state of grace, as she was now married to Carl instead. But Carl and her were still distant, and it was working as best as they could. And Mary also worked during this time in her marriage still. But it was like something was missing, and her brother Joseph told her something that lit a spark in her. Her brother was working in Asia on a ship. Joseph wrote to Mary on the suffering of the Korean children. He worked with aid and missionaries to collect clothes and food. She asked him how she could help, and he quickly told her to go down to the Los Angeles Harbor and find a captain heading to Korea, if she could persuade him to carry relief and supplies she had gathered. She did just that. The captains were even more than happy to carry the aid, and Mary found a new purpose. She would would solicit her neighbors and friends to help out and donate. She also began to help out at local hospitals. She, like her father, taught her, she exposed and showed her kids the realities of life and how to use and help others. They also learned from their mother's kind example, remarking later how much of an inspiration it had on them. She once remarked, quote, Charity is not a thing you do, it's love, it's who you become. I was a salesman for the poor, End quote. While her radical help and change movements began to grow in the 1960s, her husband often claimed she was naive and a left-wing radical. Imagine, wanting to help people is now, like, a frantic idea. Crazy. She paid no heed to him and continued with her work, and missed this long and trying time, she remarked on an influence of a friendship. A man named Anthony Bowers, a Los Angeles priest known for his charity and devotion to missionary causes. This deep and lasting friendship helped Mary through her marriage problems and her worry on her faith and dislike of the church's rules. And funnily enough, Mary named her last child after Father Bowers. His name was Anthony, like I mentioned earlier. On Christmas Eve of nineteen sixty one, Mary gave away her beloved and old Hollywood glam mink coat to raffle off her money for the for the poor. This would win her eight grand for charity. She soon did this with other luxury items and raised enough money to help build a hospital in Africa. In nineteen sixty four, Mary's beloved priest passed away before his death. He remarked to Mary with something that helped her deeply, with quote, This was meant for you, the front lines. God put you in that role, Mary, end quote. A year later, in 1965, Mary got a call from a father, Vetter, a priest from Pasadena, who did work in Mexico. He knew of Mary's work of charity and wanted to know if she'd help him with supplies. She readily agreed, and the two of them set off to Tijuana, and they went to several hospitals there, and they ended up at La Mesa State Penitentiary. My apologies if I pronounced that wrong. They didn't have a meeting at this prison, but the warden said they could bring the supplies to the infirmary. Seeing the appalling conditions and the sad prisoners at the prison, it had a lasting impact on Mary. Even though she lived three hours away, she often went to the prison, helping and caring for them, and though her Spanish was limited, it didn't stop her. This soon became more and more of her life, with her sending massive amounts of supplies to the prison, making routine trips to Mexico. Sometime in 1969, Mary woke up from a dream so realistic that she had to write it down. In the dream, she was a prisoner, about to be killed, then Christ came to take her place. She was sure the dream was by her calling to work and help at La Mesa. The state prison i just mentioned in 1972 her marriage came to an end her biography states that was no particular reason other than the misery and distance between them both and with most of her children grown she felt it was time at age 45 she moved into an apartment with her two youngest children elizabeth then 13 and anthony aged 11 and with so many years ahead and yet mary wondered if she could become a religious sister although many closed their doors to her age but also her twice divorced self so she was at a crossroads Finally, a choice. On Easter Sunday, 1976, all her family, children, and grandchildren gathered at her home, and she told them her plans. She said, quote, Thank you, God. You've given me so many years and so many feasts like this. This is the last time I'm going to spend Easter like this. I'm going to the prison. I'm going to where I'm being led, End quote. Her children weren't even surprised by this, and they supported her. On March 19th, 1977, Mary donned her habit and veil she made herself then mary was now no more and she was mother antonia the fact that she took this with no bishop approval and no order just herself it was audacious and yet the nuns and priests she talked to and admired they cheered her on a wealthy housewife turned catholic sister living full time in a rough mexican jail well why live there full time well it was needed And most fights and stabbings happened at night she truly wanted to be where she was most needed before she left, she went to church of Our Lady of Assumption and said her personal vows in obedience, chastity, fidelity, and service. No way to the church to back them, but no less because of it. According to her biography, she felt like a fake in the habit, but sure in her role. And when she went to a hospital, two cops called her over, and she worried they'd know she wasn't a true sister. They merely said instead that wasn't she going to bless them, Mother? And so she did. She later, upon being asked how this felt, she quoted a Bible verse and then said, So once I put my hand on the plow, I wasn't going to look back. I could only go ahead. End quote. And she did, staying at first only a couple of nights since she sold her youngest son in California. Finally, in nineteen seventy eight, she sold her home in California and moved into the prison for good. While there, some inmates thought she was a D- DAA agent or an FBI agent. Others, and this made me giggle, some thought she was this black widow type nun who killed her husband and was now remorseful. <laughs> she began to continue with her crusade of ending the abuse at the prison, helping both the guards and the inmates. Going back between California and La Mesa, she wanted just the basic supplies—clothes, food, medicine, and so on. Not long after her work, she, fir- she met her first close advocate, a young Mexican man named Jess, who was living in California. Soon, and by little donations poured into the shop where Jess worked into Mother Antonia. And she was soon known for her persuasion, willingness, and tenacity. Her friend, Father Carroll called her the perfect street hustler. So word soon spread far and wide. She was known as Mother Teresa of Tuanjana and the Prison Angel. and and soon she decided to face the church and get backed up formally, and it was no easy task for a twice-divorced lady who hasn't taken any formal vows. She spoke to the Bishop of Tuanjana, and after hearing her tale, he agreed and asked her to take the white habit of the Marcedonians, an order of priests who had a special devotion to the care of prisoners. And the Bishop of San Diego also formally agreed and was more than willing to help Mother Antonia. Soon her work expanded to cosmetics and dentistry, helping with missing and no teeth, and also scars and prison tattoos that the inmates wanted gone. Throughout the 80s, this helped in rather forward thinking. She knew that those reminders and deformities made it so difficult to find work and also affected self-esteem. And another thing to add is many of the doctors who helped Antonia weren't Catholic. They, had, they did it because they simply wanted to help her and the inmates. Finally, after years, she made them stop a humiliating ritual in the prison for new inmates to scream as loud as they can their names, aliases, and crimes. And if not fast enough or loud enough, they were often beaten. And this is regardless of innocence or guilt. It didn't matter what you were in for, you stayed your crimes, even if you were simply awaiting trial. It took a whole decade, but it ended when a new warden came. She also began to help inmates with their fines and fees, many of whom were because of the poverty they were there or the courts were against them because they were poor. She soon began to try and change that system too, arguing and pleading with the courts and judges for these small and petty offenses that many lost their lives and years of their lives for. And she struggled too. She thought of leaving and joining a civil rights group, but she was on the inside, knew there were those on the outside helping, so she stayed. And she'd see many, from high-up drug lords to those who stole to feed their families. She found them all worthy of compassion, something that baffled both people, and honestly me as well. Some of her inmates did turn around, including one Mr. Ringo. He was a drug smuggler-turned-farmer, and he brought a home near La Mesa for Mother Antonia to turn to a shelter. It's called Casa Camos de San Miguel, named after Ringo, a drug smuggler, and St. Michael the Archangel. For years, Mother Antonia worked at the prison, and she was rewarded several awards. On Mother's Day, 1990, Pope John Paul II was in Chihuahua, Mexico, giving a service, and Mother Antonia was chosen to bring a gift to the altar, and the Pope touched her cheek. Finally, in 2003, she created her own religious order, Eurydice's Servants of the Eleventh Hour. The hour meant to be welcoming to women between 45 and 65 to dedicate their later years for serving the poor like she has. During the 2000s, time changed, with the prison slowly becoming modernized and some inmates moved, but Mother Antonia changed with the times, even though her health was beginning to fail her. Even at 78, she told her biographers that she had no regrets with, quote, I have not had a day of depression in 27 years. I have been upset, angry, and sad, but never depressed or regretful because I have a reason for being here, end quote. After her declining health, she passed away in her home on October 7, 2013 at age 86. So this was a very interesting lady to learn about. Unfortunately, the main amount of my sources online were all religious groups, and I wanted both the religious side, as it was very important to Mother Antonia, but also the real side. Who was she? So I'll leave sources to her biography and what I could find of her, and I hope you guys enjoyed. Bye.